Lowry to And we will win in Toronto. That is right inside. Talk your talk, walk your walk. What a resilient team, resilient group, resilient effort. Down 15 with two minutes left in the third quarter, plus 11 in the fourth, win the second half by 13. 21st team to win a best of seven series after going down to nothing, but more importantly, for the first time ever, the Raptors are going to the NBA Finals. No, I did not stutter. Your Toronto Raptors are going to the NBA Finals. This is your Toronto Raptors podcast. I'm Donovan Bennett. I'm with J.D. Bunkus. Free Association Weekend Edition because I think this called for it. What a moment, young J.D. How many times did you have to tell yourself and remind yourself that it was real? Like, <laughs> what, what, when did it really kind of hit you? Because for me, it's still not all the way there. I keep anticipating someone is going to rip this really good feeling from me. And it just, it continues. It continued last night with the, the honking of car horns and the celebration that went on till, I mean, well past 4am downtown. It's been going on online with just different people sharing their stories and where they were and what it means to them. It just, this is awesome. This is truly, truly an awesome moment in Canadian sports. It dawned on me. It was real with two and one left in the third before the game was over. When they go on a run, 26-3, and then outscore the Bucks 29-18 in the fourth, and they're steady with Kawhi on the bench. They're mm. defensively getting stops, and it's like, well, wait a minute. The Bucks had a chance to blow this out of the water in the first quarter. They didn't. The Raptors have hung around, and now they're out of ideas, and they can't score. They're getting stop after stop after stop, and eventually the offense is going to come around and... That's what happened. Well, honestly, at the beginning of the third quarter, I'm like, these freaking guys are going to do this. So, yeah, this is going to be, I think, a bit of an emotional roller coaster podcast just because there are so many touch points to, to hit on with this thing. But let's just talk about that to start. Maybe this is the right place to start. Is that that ball game, you felt it the entire time watching it that the Raptors just needed to hang around. I tweeted it in the games that they just needed to keep it close. Just don't get blown out. Never let that lead get bigger than 15 points. Continue to just knock it down, chip it away, keep it below 15, back into the 10 range, back into the 8 range. Leave yourself an opportunity to go on a run. And yeah, the game starts and it's just about, ugh, it just didn't feel good. Danny Green is missing the only open looks that the team gets. You're figuring that you're not going to get a very good night from him. The offense looks tight. The Bucks defense was just swarming. They were doing an excellent job on Kawhi Leonard. I don't think he had 10 points until the second quarter nothing was coming easy and that lead balloons up and they finally, they cut it down. They cut it down. They chip away, they chip away and it builds back up. And in the third quarter through a little reverse jinx into our group chat of, Hey, we don't have to be here tomorrow or why should we come in? If it's going to just be a Raptors loss podcast, I think everybody has the same swing in the game, which is that third quarter where Kawhi Leonard, who once again, puts together another signature. How many signature performances can you have before we stop calling them signature performances? 
Like, is this playoff just the signature performance at this point? Like, are they all starting to blend into one? Because that team was down 15 points with a little over two minutes to go in the third quarter. And you really did think this is it. It's about to be decided. The Bucs score a couple more points here and it's done. And Leonard gets the N1. He hits a big shot. And somehow, some way, the Raptors go on a 10-0 freaking run to end that quarter. And you're looking at the score and they're just down five points. And you referenced it, but Kawhi sits. And you're thinking, wow, this is a bit of a risky play by Nurse. Can you just get out of these minutes with a tie? That's all I wanted to see the Raptors do was get out of those Kawhi minutes with a tie. Split them. Stay down five. Stay in range. And they won those minutes. They, they won those minutes. Norm Powell hits a monster corner three. Fred Van Vliet, who just continues to be father of the year and put more pressure and more pressure on you, gets to the rim. I'm in awe that that group showed all of the wear and tear, all of the tough experiences that that group had been through, I think really showed out in those minutes that Kawhi Leonard was on the bench to start that fourth quarter. And like, yeah, those five minutes to end the third and to start the fourth, like that was the ball game. That was getting to the championship. You mentioned a 10-0 run. Kawhi had his own 10-0 run. He scored eight Unreal. points and had an assist for another two. Yeah. He carried this team on his back for long stretches, willed them to win a career-high in rebounds in an elimination game. That was shocking to see that many rebounds. I knew he was all over the glass that game, but then when he hit the podium and they put the 17 next to his name, I was, excuse me, 17 rebounds, sir? Yeah, 27 points. Wasn't great shooting, 9 of 22 from the floor, but 7 assists, as we mentioned, 17 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks, but more importantly, 19 points in the second half. Mm. 25 points now for the 15th time in these playoffs, he's played 18 playoff games. He's been a beast. And when you look at his playoff numbers, he's averaging 31 points, shooting 50.7 from the floor with eight rebounds and just under two steals a night. He's, as of today, Sunday, May 26th, you're probably listening to this on a Monday, the best basketball player on planet Earth is Kawhi Leonard. Do you think that he is now unlocked something with the playmaking or that this is just a case of guys hitting shots? Like that this is mostly a case of Fred Van Vliet getting scorching hot from distance because over the last couple of games, to me, there has been a noticeable pivot in Kawhi Leonard when he's diving into the paint that he is not going up as much, that he is starting to look for teammates, that he is finding them open for three and Uh, what that does for his ceiling as a player. All of the above. I think he's a more willing passer. I think his teammates have given him more confidence by sticking many of those shots other than Danny Green who actually was the teammate he had the most confidence in in terms of kicking it out for threes. We've seen that all year. But I also think, and I do not expect to see this for the next four to seven games over the next week to two and a half weeks, I also think the Bucks at some point were just being stubborn. There are times in game five and even more in game six where Kawhi was, as you mentioned, diving into the paint, penetrating, but jumping in the air and turning his body and not even looking at the rim, yet help defenders were still coming, and he was kicking it out to people who were catching and shooting pregame shots. And we won't break down the Warriors series yet. We will enjoy this. But I expect them to stay at home on shooters, at least on the strong side. If you want to help from the weak side, that's one thing. It was a combination of of factors, and you saw a great player at the height of his powers, someone who... Two years ago, when he landed on Zaza Pachulia's foot and left the game in game one against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, 
when his team was up 20 and that lead was as big as 25 in that game, we thought like, yeah, this is a top three player Mm -hmm. in the world. Well, LeBron has regressed a little bit since then. KD currently is hurt and will not start this series. And Kawhi is infinitely a much better player, a much more well-rounded player. And he's in a system that allows all of his talents to show. I think Kawhi right now is playing better than anybody else on the planet, including Kevin Durant. Didn't and, I say that like 45 and, seconds? Yeah, no, I just, I'm with you. But the reason why I think this, and like I, I saw him, it was Matt Moore from the Action Network tweeted out, like where does Kawhi stack up among the best players in the finals right now? I think we almost took it for granted or we take him for granted in a way that he's carrying this level of an offensive load and yet he spent the majority of that series defending who is our, like going to be the league's MVP this year. I thought that Kawhi was going to burn out after game four or during this series at some point when he looked a little hobbled. They came off that double overtime game. He wasn't moving as well. He didn't have that same explosiveness. His teammates really did help carry him to that win in game four. That was probably the best pick-me-up game of the Raptors all series for Kawhi Leonard. And then game five and game six, what impressed me the most was two things. One is that he paces himself extremely well. We were talking to Bobby Marks on Good Show the other day, and and he compared him to a marathon runner. And I think that's exactly correct. He knew how to pace himself. He's that guy in that video, you know, when you're watching the track athlete like go around and he's got a huge distance between him and the guy who's up front. And then you just start to see like closing, 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 closing as they get close to the finish line. That's Kawhi Leonard. Like he paces himself incredibly well. I think that's where you really see experience come through for a player like that. Someone who has been here before, someone who knows how to regulate themselves. And two is the only upside of that game was... Norm Powell got to play with a little bit of confidence. Norm Powell got to have some moments. He got to see the ball go through the hoop. He made it clear that he was going to be a player in this series, that he was going to be a factor in this series. And something also happened to Kawhi Leonard, I think, in game four. Those constant overloads, those constant throwing everything at Kawhi Leonard with him a little bit hobbled, with him a little bit hurt, forced him to be a little bit more proactive in his passing, forced him to acknowledge the double was coming a little bit sooner, find a teammate, find someone for an open three-point shot. And that coincided with guys hitting big buckets. And the one knock on Kawhi Leonard has always been like, he's not the playmaker that LeBron James is. He's not even the playmaker that Giannis Tenacumbo is. That he doesn't have that same quality as James Harden, where he's just always able to find an open shooter. And thanks to that defense, thanks to that stubbornness that you mentioned that the Bucs employed against Kawhi, I think that it helped open something up for him. I think it helped unlock a little bit of his game and a little bit of that playmaking. And yes, it helps that his teammates were hitting those shots, I think that Kawhi kind of figured out in that series that he doesn't have to do it alone and that this team can't win with him doing it alone. So as the resident marathon runner on the podcast, I will let you know that he's not a marathon runner. Okay. He is a sprinter. And here's why. When you watch a 100-meter dash, it's an optical illusion. Towards the end, you feel like, oh, someone's gaining ground, someone's surging past someone else. And it's actually the opposite the guy who's leaving the pack is actually decelerating at a slower pace than everybody else. Your top speed when you run a hundred meter dash is around 60, 70 meters. And then it's just a matter of who's going to keep their form and who's going to not panic. And if you look at the tight ISO shots of sprinters faces, their neck muscles, their face, the guy who's leaving everyone is the guy who's the most relaxed. That's why Donovan Bailey was a great sprinter because he had chill like he just didn't really care i've already got a lamborghini so i'm gonna be good regardless of what happens here and so justin gatlin for example has had literally medals in his fingertips and he freaked out and would lose them 
Kawhi is the guy with all of the chill. He decelerated at a slower pace than everybody else. The moment never got too big. He never panicked, and he was always relaxed. So in those late-game situations, it seemed like he was taking it to another level, and really, he was just operating at the same level, and Giannis at times had shots, and oh man, do I want to take anything that's outside of the paint with the game on the line? I don't know. I'm going to kick it out. And Middleton's like, well, hey, I thought you're the superstar. I mean, I was an all-star, but you're the guy who dragged me there. Aren't you supposed to take the shot? There was moments towards the end of the game when the Bucks went on that run of one for nine from 2-1 in the third to 6-46 in the fourth, and the Raptors went on a 10-for-14 run from the floor where the moment just seemed too big for them. And I think the comparison to the superstars in a way is unfair. Everyone's using this to crush Giannis and say, well, he's a paper MVP. And, you know, yeah, I don't he, feel that way at all. He was, he was just dominant throughout the regular season. He's still an MVP, but I think what Kawhi exposed was he's not a finished product. There are flaws in his game. And I think this series will be a turning point in Giannis's career. This could be his Jordan versus the Pistons series. This could be his Pistons, Isaiah and Dumars versus the Celtics series. The series where you got beat up, but also you figured out what the game plan is against you. And then you went in the offseason and you worked that out. Jordan figured out what the Jordan rules were and, and how he needed to surpass. And I think we may be looking at that from the Greek freak moving forward. And we're like, oh, man, Kawhi actually helped him get past this. The only issue is I'm not certain how much help he's going to have moving forward. Unrestricted free agents for the Bucks, Malcolm Brogdon. Nikola Mirotic, who went from starter to, yeah, like, he's not on the team, apparently. Remember when that was a better trade than getting Marc Gasol? Yeah, turns out not so much. Uh, yeah. Brooke Lopez, all unrestricted. Chris Middleton has yeah. a player option. Guess what? Yeah, He'll done. be exercising it. And so, certainly enjoy the moment, and certainly the future is not promised with the Raptors, given Kawhi's status and the age of Gasol and Lowry. But this team, if they can figure out a way to win four more out of the next seven, there's a recipe here that they could be a monster for a long, long time. So I want to touch on the Bucks just for a second there, because I, I think that you said a lot of good things. Uh, I really like the Kawhi and Leonard analogy. You are the runner, so I'm just going to cede that to you. I'm not going to nitpick with whether Kawhi is a marathon runner or a sprinter. I think you're more qualified to say so. And I think that analogy is really good. But one is, I think that the Kawhi Leonard thing is especially cool because he and Giannis are, I think, almost a wash when it comes to a talent perspective. Well, like, not to cut you off, yeah, but in ahead. this series, when they were on the floor, it was a tie. Yeah. So the, the difference was when they weren't on the floor and, and which bench would be passable. Right. Fred Van Vliet turning it on for those final three games really felt like the tipping point in the series. Like he was better than Malcolm Brogdon. He was better than Chris Middleton. He hit more shots. Like he just, Fred Van Vliet was an absolute animal. All of a sudden, it totally changed the series. But with Kawhi, I don't view him and Giannis as like these two completely different entities. Like I do think right now, Kawhi is the best player on the planet. He won the series. He came up with the bigger moments. But both teams were loading up on both of those players, right? Like they sent Brogdon and they sent Middleton and they sent help at Kawhi Leonard. Like they wanted him to kick it out. They wanted him to move it. He overcame it. Giannis, for the most part, I think did a pretty good job. He's getting two defensive MVPs thrown at him with regularity in that series. Like he's being guarded by Kawhi Leonard when he's getting a switch. He's getting Pascal Siakam, another terror on the defensive end. And Marcus all is constantly waiting for him for that help defense. If he goes in the off season and he adds that little bit of three point element that Kawhi Leonard has, where it can be off the bounce. It can be a pull up in transition. Then Giannis is going to be right there with him. I think the shooting is the one gap between the two, but lost in the shuffle of all the drama around the Celtics and 
the sexiness of the Sixers with their bigger names of Jimmy Butler, you know, and JJ Redick and Tobias Harris that are free agents and Kawhi Leonard potentially leaving the Toronto Raptors. We kind of forgot that the Bucks are in a very similar boat as everybody else at the top of the East, where you're not really sure about what the shelf life is for them to remain competitive or maybe not remain competitive because Giannis will be there, but for them to have this group that everyone's group felt very finite, whether it was Kyrie leaving the Celtics, whether it's Jimmy Butler and the guys that I mentioned on the Sixers, whether it's Kawhi and whether it's Chris Middleton and whether it is Malcolm Brogdon. And I think there's probably a lot of teams that are looking at Malcolm Brogdon right now and saying, well, let's throw a big offer at him. He's a restricted free agent, but why wouldn't you, if you were a team like the Knicks and you strike out in free agency or the Dallas Mavericks and you have a ton of cap space, why wouldn't you want to get a guy who can defend Kawhi Leonard just about as well as anybody who can knock down an open three point shot, who can rebound on both ends and who can get to the basket and plays with confidence. Like Brogdon is going to cost you a lot of money for a team that already locked up a point guard for $70 million and then has a big decision to make with Chris Middleton. It's going to be really interesting to see like what the bucks look like moving forward, because if they cap out on that team, if they put all their chips into this basket, is that going to be enough next year? If the Raptors do bring back Kawhi, is that going to be enough? If the Sixers do reboot their camp, then what happens to Giannis? Like they don't win next year. And I think that everything's on the table with him in terms of being satisfied and staying in Milwaukee. And it's just, it's crazy how quickly these things flip. Yeah. And they go into another year, regardless of what they do in free agency, they will begin the year with the questions of, Hey, can Budenholzer take this team over the top? How many times is this guy going to the conference finals and lose? Could have coached this team, bud. You could have been coaching the Raptors with your rigidity in your system. I'll admit it. I got to go total Mia culpa. Like, I had to once Mia Culpa on this podcast about Fred Van Vliet. I'm Mia Culping on Nick Nurse. Like, he found it in that series. He outcoached Budenholzer. Why was Bud taking out Giannis in that game? Like, six minutes into the third quarter, and he's like, all right, rest time. What are you doing? He has a, I mean, an analytical theory. And I don't sure. want to say theory like it's disrespect. It's rooted in data that after 34 minutes, you have diminishing returns on a player. And so he'd rather max out that player at 34 minutes-ish and play some other competent NBA player rather than run that star in the ground. But before the game, he's talking about how like it's a it's a must win game. They're going to have to maybe tighten things up. You mentioned Miritich doesn't play in this ball game. You think that he's going to have one of those pedal to the floor games for Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I get it, diminishing returns, and that was a great strategy throughout the regular season. It helped Giannis win the MVP. But you're kind of in a spot where is the extra two or three minutes on Giannis worse? than replacing him and not having him on the floor. Well, but what does the diminishing returns That's what I mean. mean? It's like, like uh, what's the drop off? He jumps not as high, but still bothers shots. The shots that he doesn't take happen a little bit earlier in the shot clock. He what, looked pretty what, fresh to me when he had what was, I think, the block of the year late in that fourth quarter on Corona. Oh, pins, yeah. But the point is, his presence alone on the floor changes everything. So even if he is diminished... He's more valuable, literally, he's going to win the MVP than anyone else on your roster. And in a game where if you don't win, you're not playing any more basketball, you might as well run him into the ground. Everyone, everyone, everyone who criticized and complained and bellyached and made comparisons to hockey players about load management, shut the hell up. Like oh, Load management is so hot right now. But it wasn't throughout the regular season. People oh. were okay with it for the first half of the yeah. season after the all-star break. And part of it is because Nick nurse alluded to the fact that it was going to go away and it just really never went away until the last two weeks of the season. People were waiting and waiting for it to go away. And then it didn't. And then 
they called out the organization, they called out Kawhi, and this run and the way he's being able to play and the way he's being able to bounce back from injury in the postseason legitimizes everything that their medical staff did with him. I know that this is kind of maybe a bit of a reach, but Kawhi Leonard gutting it out and playing this many minutes and playing with this much enthusiasm, I do believe that the way that he was treated by the medical staff and the organization through the year had an impact on this. Like the way that he's reacting to it right now, where he's a little bit more accepting of playing in a limited role or playing on a leg that's a little bit hurt. I do wonder if, you know, he was forced to play a bit more or he was not satisfied with the medical staff or he felt as though this organization didn't have his best needs at heart whether he would have played those amount of minutes or whether he would have gone out quite the same way. Well, this postseason run is about his narrative as well. Remember yeah. the talk about him last year, not being with the Spurs in the playoffs, only playing nine games, the tribunal from the players saying that they need him. Tony Parker taking shots in the media saying his thigh injury was worth. Greg Popovich saying to the media, well, you'll have to ask him and his group on when he's going to be back. The narrative was he was selfish. He was just all about himself waiting for free agency and that he was either able to come back and didn't want to, or didn't really have the pain threshold to be able to play. And he's a professional. He should be able to play through some pain and discomfort. He's closer to free agency now than he was a year ago. He's now closer to a championship and he's playing at an incredibly high level through pain. I think he's answered all those critics who thought he was either being one of the S's last year selfish soft or both because because he's not being those things right now no and i was listening to brian geltzer on our morning show the other day and i thought that his comments did you see those they were really interesting just about how the spurs put undue pressure on him that the story here was they knew it was manu's last run they knew it was tony parker's last run and they felt a little different level of desperation and when he said he wasn't ready to come back they ended up having a team meeting where they essentially cornered him and he had to defend his injury, and it was called into question. And I don't think that he ever recovered from that. And with the Raptors, like, you've never really seen that. And I know that some of it is probably a little bit of glad-handing, a little bit of superstar treatment, but that's what you should get when you're a superstar, is superstar treatment, right? (laughs) Hey, I don't feel it tonight. Hey, I want a little bit of rest. Hey, I want to be a little extra cautious with this. And the Raptors did that for him. They made him feel like a superstar. They made him feel wanted in a way where, I think if you're a Raptors fan, going in a free agency. And I, and I know that's not what this is all about right now, but it's hard not to think about when he's been so spectacular. You don't feel as though they have left anything on the table here. I think that they've done just about everything they could possibly do. They surrounded Kawhi Leonard with a team that got to the NBA finals. They surrounded him with a team that he was glowing about yesterday, discussing his teammates hitting shots and Kawhi right after the game. What did he mention? What did he talk about? It was those minutes where he was on the bench and he was watching and his teammates ended up carrying that level of play for a little while. They've done a great job with their sports science team, led by Alex McKechnie, who you feel extremely confident about, maybe as the Raptors' biggest bargaining chip in terms of keeping Kawhi Leonard. They've done themselves as good of a job as anyone could have done. If you would have played it out and said, all right, well, the Raptors are going to trade for Kawhi Leonard. What are the parameters going to have to be in order for them to keep them? I think getting to a finals, keeping him healthy, keeping him happy, keeping him involved, having him integrate himself with his teammates the way that he has... They've checked every single box, and the Raptors deserve a lot of credit for that as much as Kawhi Leonard does for figuring it out. Before we end the pod, we're going to do a quick roll call because we've basically made this pod about Kawhi, 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 and as it should be, but other guys stepped up. We're going to roll call some guys who deserve mad props for the performance last night Danny Green in the series. No. We'll break down some, I think, illuminating quotes from Charles Barkley post game. but first things first, as I mentioned, the NBA Finals 
are in Toronto. Wednesday is media day. Thursday, game one in Toronto. And it is on Sportsnet. It is on Sportsnet 1. And it is on Sportsnet now. So make sure you have Sportsnet now. Because Wednesday, we're going to have coverage virtually all day. Media day. On Sportsnet Central... On digital, we'll be writing about it on .ca. We'll be doing some live updates on our social channels. Tim and Sid will be down in the square throughout the final, so make sure you watch that coverage. But, I mean, life's busy. If you aren't able to watch it live on television or on your phone via the Sportsnet app, get Sportsnet now. Get another Sportsnet app. You'll be able to actually go back and rewind and watch it. You'll actually Mm -hmm. even be able to go back and watch Game 6 in its entirety because... Who can not watch that over and over and over and over again? Or if you don't have that much time, watch the Raptors in 30 over and over and over. You can do all of that on demand whenever you want, wherever you want on Sportsnet now. And listen, if you just want it for a week, for two weeks, for the finals, it's fine. I've got a nice little $7.99 deal. We don't have to pay the 25 plus. Get it for a couple weeks. Get all in. Get your Raptors coverage from us and then get out. But if you don't unsubscribe, we'll continue to charge your credit card. I've been victim of that <laughs> many, many times. But it's well, well worth the price. I mentioned, guys, that we have to shout out before this is over. A man who came in averaging just six points against the Bucks in the regular season, put up double figures in every game in the postseason, including last night, 17 points, five rebounds, eight assists, and Lowry, 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 Lowry. That, I mean, my feels. Big time. Chan. I did as well. He he deserved it. It was nice to see Kyle smile. And what actually had me in my fields was Kyle and Masai hugging yeah. and embracing, burying the hatchet once and for all. <laughs> I kind of thought when Masai hugged him there, it was like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> like just whispering his ear. What I love about I what I, I love you. about Kyle is if you notice, after every one of these clinching games, Kyle is going after that ball. Yeah. Like, you think he goes after offensive rebounds? No, no. He's going after the clinching ball. Somewhere in his main cave, he's going to have all of these Spaldings after all of these great moments. But it was a great moment for Kyle last night, the longest-serving Raptor at this point. I loved seeing him embrace the moment in the podium and nobody leaving that building so that they could show their captain how much they appreciated him. I mean, I said it last podcast, and I will believe it even more so now, that he's the greatest Raptor of all time. He's not the greatest individual player. That's Kawhi Leonard. That's who they've had. You probably make a case that, you know, Vince in his prime was better than him. That so DeRozan. a statue's going up. Yeah. He's the first one? If a statue goes up. Or a number up, is retired. Well, it's so difficult to say because, like, Vince Carter is always going to be the most impactful Raptor, other than maybe now Kawhi Leonard. I do wonder this. Hey, let me throw this at you just quickly. Do you think Kawhi Leonard's run and his play has made him more impactful than Vince Carter was? Like, do you think that if we are fast-forwarding Donovan Bennett 15 years into the future, are we seeing a Kawhi Leonard effect throughout the rest of the country? Because I think everyone is following this now. Like, this is now a national story. This is not Toronto's team. This is everyone in Canada's team. This is elevating basketball into a place that... I know it's never been this high before. I just wonder if the gap between where basketball was, how little it was in Canada compared to where Vince Carter helped elevate it and Steve Nash helped elevate it. If Kawhi Leonard has even created a greater gap from where basketball was to where it is now in this country. It's tough. And although I want to say yes, it's different because this has been building like the, we, the North air it's been building. It's been building. It's been building. And Kawhi just comes in, puts it over the top. But even when you look at this team, there are so many guys who are so beloved. 
you know how many Pascal Siakam jerseys I'm yeah. seeing? No, people love Siakam. How many guys were once in the G League and now have their jerseys sold like hotcakes? But people saw good teams in the We the North era, and they saw them flame out all because they didn't have that transcendent star. And now Kawhi Leonard has the Game 7 rim bounce shot after having the shot over Joel Embiid in Game 4, which I think that people will always remember. Shot in Game 4, Game 7 rim bounce. He's got the carry the Raptors performance in Game 3. He's got the carry the Raptors performance in Game 5. And then he's got the closeout in Game 6. Like, he's going to go into an NBA Finals against the Warriors, the most visible franchise in NBA history. It's different. Like, it feels different. I agree. I think this height is much higher than the Vince Carter generation. But the documentary was called The Vince Carter Effect. Yeah. That era and that team was solely about him. If there was a 30 for 30 about this team, it doesn't start this year. Mm-hmm. The doc would be called the We the North effect, right? And so do I think Kawhi has brought this franchise to a level much higher than Vince ever has? Yes. But do I think this fan base's relationship solely with Kawhi is stronger than it ever was with Vince's? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think that moment, the four bounces in it going in, Kawhi, that gift that he gave the country, I think that's... Better than people's minds in the dunk competition, no question. But are we going to see Kawhi Mitchell and Nest jerseys sell like hotcakes in 20 years? That I don't know. If he resigns, I mean, it's it's rap. Even if he doesn't resign, I don't think he'll get booed when he comes back to Toronto. No question. Like, no question. I think he gets, like, the fans are if so you, thrilled with this. If you move your lips <laughs> yeah. to say, buh, someone's going to knock you yeah, out. Exactly. Like, you're going to sleep. It's night-night. Getting back to Kyle Lowry, though, he was just another guy in that game where... Every time you thought that it was going to slip away a little bit, he came up with big shots. Whether it was those monster threes in the third quarter, whether it was, you know, jumping in front of Giannis Atenekumbo and continuing to take just the vicious beating that this guy takes, even despite his thumb. The guy who's getting into the paint and creating for others. The guy who's just making hustle play after hustle play. The guy who pokes free the basketball and one of now the most iconic plays in Raptors history. Like, I think it goes... Postseason right now is rim bounce, and then number two is Kyle Lowry stripping steel, running down the floor, finding Kawhi Leonard for that lefty cram on Giannis. I don't know if kids have posters anymore. I don't know if that's a thing, but like that's a desktop background. That's your iPhone screenshot or homepage. Like that's everything to everybody now. Like that picture, that image of Kawhi just cramming it, and Lowry just having the wherewithal to just always involve Kawhi Leonard again. When you're looking through the boxes of how the Raptors have prepared themselves to be in a great position, to be in pole position, to keep Kawhi Leonard, I think a lot of the credit has to go to Kyle Lowry. Like, his legacy is not just as a great Raptor, it's as this facilitator that has always made his teammates better. Like, he doesn't get enough credit for that element of his game. That He has that Steve Nash to him, where guys who play with him get better, and that includes Kawhi Leonard. He's also playing hurt as well. My guy's going to post-game press conferences with an oven mitt on his hand because yeah. his thumb is such Yeah, there's no question shape. nothing's going to have surgery at the end of the offseason. Another guy who needs some love, Pascal Siakam. 18 points, was only 7 of 17 from the floor, only 4 rebounds, but defensively was all over the place. And it's a crime that he wasn't on the all-NBA defensive team. Just watch this series alone. As good as a job Kawhi did on Giannis, Pascal did a great job on him as well, but also did a great job helping with length, showing bodies and arms, making that pass from Giannis. Two wide-open three-point shooters, a little bit more difficult to make the rotations a little bit easier. Three times in the six-game series, they held the Bucks under 100 in regulation. 
Defensively, they were a menace, and Pascal was at the heart of that. So he made one of the biggest plays of the game as well, that tip at the end of regulation where he makes a, a great read, and he jumps in front of Giannis and grabs a steal that essentially clinches the game. I'll admit I was a little nervous when it was him going to the free throw line. <laughs> you get, I was like, uh, I had tweeted the Raptors are an inbounds pass away from the NBA Finals, and then they got it to Siakam. I was like, oh, I might have cursed this. This might be on me if Siakam misses these free throws. But he came through. He promised Kawhi Leonard that he would make his free throws next time, and he made that first one, which was all that matters. And then, of course, Kawhi grabs the second one off the rim, and the rest is history. But one of the under-discussed things in this series was that when Kawhi switched on to Giannis, it was, well, now this is going to free Middleton up, right? This is now Kawhi's off Middleton. Now Middleton's going to be able to do things. He had a big game four. Middleton hit some big shots. But Pascal Siakam helped put Chris Middleton on a six-point game uh, in game five. Chris Middleton was 5 of 13 last night. He had 14 points, and one of those was like a desperation turnaround three that was at the end of a shot clock. So I'm going to say Chris Middleton essentially had 11 points on Pascal Siakam last night, a guy that is going to be heading into an offseason where he's going to be searching a max contract. Siakam completely eviscerated. He was not able to do things. In fact, everyone talked about Bledsoe and how they were so excited to see when Bledsoe would get into attack mode and that he would get the overconfidence. To me, my favorite possessions for the Bucs as a Raptors fan were when... Chris Middleton decided it was on himself to go at Pascal Siakam one-on-one and try to score. I haven't looked these up and I'll get these numbers, but I would be really curious to see what his percentages were when he was playing in isolation against Pascal Siakam. I cannot for the life of me remember too many buckets. Well, his percentages against anybody weren't great. The Raptors held Middleton to 14 or fewer points Mm -hmm. in five of the six games this series. Chris Middleton was an all-star. But dude, he was shooting over 40% from three heading into this playoff series. He cooked the Boston Celtics. Yeah, he, I mean, he cooked most people. He's one of the most efficient scorers in the league, and, and he will get paid, and he'll probably end up being the consolation prize for the Lakers when they don't sign anybody in free agency. But he was not good in the series. Another guy who did a great job on Middleton, a guy who always plays well against the Bucs, and it's probably because they made one of the worst trades in recent memory, trading for whatever was left of Gravis Vasquez, for him and a pick that ended up being OG. I and love Anobi. how that came through. Norman Powell. Norman yeah. Powell in this playoffs has been up and down, but when it matters most, he was there. Against the Magic, average 8.8 points, 3.6 rebounds, 47.7 from the floor. Then Philly was ugly. 3.5 points, average one rebound, play. 37.2 from the floor. But against the Bucks, playoff norm was there. In this series, 12.3 points, 3.5 rebounds, and 45.6 from the floor. He came off the bench and outplayed Chris Middleton, who was an all-star. And really, he absolved the fact that you got nothing from Danny Green. He basically became Danny Green yep. in this series. Norm Powell is a big reason why they're still playing basketball. He got unlocked in that blowout game. The blowout game really helped him. It let him play. It let him get shots. It showed him that he belonged in this series, and it was a reminder. Man, if you're a Bucks fan and you see Norm Powell, you're like, oh, my God, Norm Powell only makes $42 million. They're the one fan base that looks at his contract and is like, wow, how'd they get him on that steal of a deal? He's a buck killer. There are going to be kids in Milwaukee who fear Norm Powell. There's no kids named Norm in Milwaukee. Like, that's just not a thing. That name is probably outlawed in that place. He was incredible. He really was. He had some up and down moments. I didn't think he had his best game last night. But the one thing that you got to give Norm Powell a ton of credit for is that the Raptors had moments in this series where they were tight. They had moments in the series where it was hot potato. Guys didn't want to take a shot. Guys were reluctant going into the paint to try to challenge Giannis Tenacumbo and Brooke Lopez that were down there causing a problem for them. 
And that was never really an issue for Norm Powell. He was never a reluctant shooter. He was looking for his shot. He was hunting his shot. He was getting to the corners. He was getting above the break. He was firing at will. He was getting to the basket. Even if sometimes you kind of rolled your eyes like, oh, Norm, what are you thinking there? Like, why are you trying to go at Giannis? He still had that aggressiveness. And I think that that has a large effect on the teammates around you is just knowing that you have a guy that is unafraid and who is willing to continuously go to the basket. So again, I thought that he, Serge, and Fred Van Vliet, three guys who there were a ton of question marks about in that Philadelphia series. And I know Serge had the big game seven, but ultimately those three guys all had targets on their back. They all needed to come through. And now I think Fred Van Vliet post father is like 85% from three. He continuously hit massive shots. I couldn't believe the carryover continued for him. Norm Powell played with confidence and came up big for them and gave them depth that they absolutely needed in secondary scoring and defense. And Serge Ibaka last night was playing terrible in the first half. And then the second one, he brought that classic like Serge Ibaka energy that do you think there's a guy on the Raptors that the team feeds off of quite like when Serge Ibaka gets hot? Like there's just a different energy to when Serge is on the offensive glass, grabbing boards, when He's contesting shots on the defensive end when he's throwing down those dunks. Like, don't you feel that? Like, his teammates love him. His post-dunk screams are Shaq level. Like, they energize the bench. They energize the building. In limited minutes, even when the shot wasn't falling, he brought energy, brought intensity, and he brought a mindset that I thought was really important. Fred Van Vliet, as you mentioned, 14 points. He's only missed two threes since he had a kid. It was four or five from beyond the arc last night. But the best Fred Van Vliet moment was a couple of things. He led the Raptors back out into Jurassic Park after they talked in the locker room. Still uniforms on. They all wanted to see the moment. Even Kawhi went out with them. But there's an Instagram video of Fred hours later leaving the building, coming out of the player's parking garage, and not being able to move because so many people were banging on his car, screaming, going nuts. Yeah, uh, I was and- down at King and John last night, and it was basically like anyone that tried to drive through there, it was just hands on everything. Like hands on every vehicle, a bunch of tapping, a bunch of people jumping on cabs, which get a little reckless. But yeah, it was, I'm not surprised well, people couldn't drive their cars. The, the videos, not just King and John, the Eden Center, yeah. which for people who aren't from the city is... It's not especially far, but not especially close to no. the arena. People on college going crazy. The videos from exactly. around the city of people partying is nuts. <laughs> people on top of buses, people hanging from light poles. It was a time, and they still, as crazy as it was last night, they still have work to do. But I thought, if this is what's happening when they get to the finals, what's going to happen if they win it? And what's going to happen if they win it at home, which obviously four of the seven games are at home. But there's a couple Barkley quotes that I want to read and get your reaction to. The first is, and he said this post-game, there's no player in the NBA I'd rather have than Kawhi Leonard. He's a drama-free superstar. And we'll see what happens in free agency. I find it hard to believe he's going to willingly go into the drama-filled circus that is the Los Angeles Lakers. I find it hard to believe there's anybody in the world he'd least want to spend time with than Steve Ballmer. Like, they are literally opposites. But I also feel like there is no star in the league that is a better fit for this fan base, this country, this team, this organization than Kawhi Leonard. It's been a perfect fit. Masai Ujiri made the deal because you don't say no when you can get a top-five player for a no-frills price. But I think it's been a beautiful fit both on and off the court. Yeah, I do think that this 
market in this country tends to gravitate to a certain type of player. And the blue collar guy has always been the guy of Toronto. Like you look at Leafs teams, you look at Blue Jays teams, like whether it's the John McDonald's, whether it's the Ty Domi's, whether it's been the Norm Powell's in the past, that's kind of the guy Toronto gravitates to. And I think a lot of Canadian fans gravitate towards. And the Raptors have a superstar now with a blue collar attitude and a blue collar vibe in Kawhi Leonard. Like he's the dude that does it all again in a game where you needed him to do everything and he has 17 rebounds like, and he's carrying you offensively and he's defending the other team's greatest star and he does it humbly. And there's not a lot of antics with him. I just like, I like personality with players. I like when guys are just themselves and that's why I still like Kawhi Leonard is I feel like he is just being himself. He seems so unimpressed by his own accomplishments that it's almost staggering and he resonates with, I, <laughs> I've said this for a long time, hockey finds itself like a lot of hockey fans in this country feel like basketball is this competitor and that you can't like basketball and hockey, that they're mutually exclusive and that to be a fan of one is to not be a fan of the other. And I have found that through this run, my hockey guy buds and my diest of diehard hockey fan friends all are gravitating to Kawhi Leonard. And I, I think it is because of that presence. And in reference to the Charles quote of, there's no one you'd rather build around. The drama-free superstar is exactly why we haven't had talk show after talk show after talk show about where Kawhi Leonard is going in free agency like Kevin Durant. Kawhi Leonard is four years younger or three years younger than KD. He's healthier right now, and he's at least as good as Kevin Durant. Like I think that they're at least on the same level. And yet, what has every show been about? It's about where's KD going? Where's Kyrie going? What's going to happen with Chris Middleton? What do the Knicks do? What's going to happen with Anthony Davis? How much have you seen the Kawhi Leonard stuff? Maybe some of it is because it's assumed that he's going back to LA or just Toronto and that it's not going to be a bidding war for his services. But like, when has there ever been a time where a guy of his caliber was a pending free agent without a contract and there was this little talk about him? So I think that's correct. If you were asking me, would I rather have Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant on a max contract? Give me the guy that's younger and who is at least just as good and does not come with the stuff that you feel annoyed to defend that, that comes with KD. The other Barkley quote I found really interesting was this. For this man here who got crucified for trading his most popular player, best player, oh, yeah. and people forget he fired the coach of the year, and everybody says you can't do that, and he said, we're not good enough. This is his redemption. Shout out to Masai Ujiri. I'm so glad that you brought that quote because I would have pivoted into fans and I would have forgot about Masai Ujiri, who, when you said whose jersey has to go up first, I think if there was a statue made first, Maybe it's Masai Ujiri. It's just a Giants of Africa jersey? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, man. That guy's impact on this city, like, he, first of all, he's just an admirable guy. Like, it's hard not to just be impressed by Masai Ujiri, the man. Like, what he has done for his own country and the pieces that have been done on him, the documentation of the hard work that he has done to elevate his home by using sport, by using the thing that moved him in his life and was powerful in life, it's awe-inspiring. The way that he empowers women around the globe, the way that he empowers youth, it's overwhelming. I cannot tell you the amount of times where Masai Ujiri and his actions have made me like so proud that he is affiliated with this city and that how lucky we are to have him, just again, as a person, to be a, a Toronto native now. Like, he's a Toronto native. But the basketball element of him, it's hard to look at anything and not just look at all of the moves that he did. You see this in baseball now. You see this in professional sports. It's widespread. The idea of like tanking and just, hey, you know what? Let's just kick the can down the road. We're the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to rebuild. What does that mean? 
it means that we're going to have young guys play. They're going to make mistakes and we're going to hope that we can continue to accumulate draft capital and young guy capital and, and young trade assets and build a team up. The NBA draft lottery happens a week ago. All these teams are hoping for Zion Williamson. There's 14 groups that are just hoping that the ping pong balls go the right way. Masai Jerry never settled for that. He never did. He continuously tinkered with a group that he believed in even when other people didn't. He made them better year over year over year. He got this front office to go into the luxury tax. He did have the stones to go out and trade DeMar DeRozan. Then you can say a lot of things about that trade in hindsight, but to trade away someone in a fan base or in a market where star players didn't want to be here or had a history of leaving, and then the one guy that ends up saying, no, I want to be here for my entire career, that is a bold maneuver. And he did it with one thing in mind, which was win championships. He never settled. He never, ever settled, whether it was the strikeouts and free agency, whether it was the big trades, like the one you mentioned with the Bucks or the one with the Knicks, like this guy just constantly improved this group. He found ways to improve around the edges. He found ways to make splashy trades. I don't think that you could feel confident or more confident with any general manager right now, maybe in any pro sport than Masayu Jerry. Like if he left, it would be to me just as big as Kawhi leaving. Yeah, I love the moment of Wayne Embry, the first cool. African-American GM in the NBA, taking the trophy and handing it to Larry Tannenbaum because he pays the bills, but also to Masai Jiri, the first African-born GM and now president in the NBA. And I love what their story represents for young kids in Africa as the league expands to NBA Africa next year, that they can watch this series and say, I don't just need to be Pascal Siakam or Giannis. I could be Masai Jiri. I could use my acumen and not just my athletic ability. For young kids, African-American or otherwise, here in Canada to do the same. I love what his story represents. I've documented it many times. I'm running out of ways to document it because I'm in love with it so much. But I also love the fact that his story is one that it's not just about when you get an opportunity. If you get an opportunity, are you prepared? Are you ready? And just look at the work. Look at what he's done to build this team. After May 2013, signs a five-year, $15 million deal. Tim Lewicki brings him in, is revamping MLSC and their structure. And look at the work he's done. In June of 2015, the deal that we talked about, Vasquez for Norm Powell and the pick that becomes Ananobi, which may be one of his best deals, and we don't really talk about it that much. Summer of 2016, really important draft with two picks. Get Hurdle at nine, get Siakam at 27. And we forget, also signs Fred Van Vliet to a multi-year deal who went undrafted. 2017, trades T-Ross, a guy that he and Weltman really liked, to the Magic for Ibaka. They eventually signed Lowry, July of 2017, to a three-year deal, $100 million, which is probably less than what Kyle thought he was going to get. But it's actually, when you looked at the market, probably more than they had to pay at that point, but they understood mm-hmm. they needed to keep him happy. And then the big trades that we talk about, DeRozan for Kawhi and firing Casey going with Nurse, and then the deadline deal for Gasol, who's a three-time All-Star and changed the ceiling of what you did both offensively and defensively. And that's not even the player development stuff that he's done, like fighting for Raptors 905, fighting for the BioSteel Center, which is now the OVO athletic facility, so that you can develop a Pascal Siakam, so that you can develop a Norm Powell, so you, you can develop a Fred Van Vliet. Guys who were winning a Raptors 905 championship just a couple years ago are now going to the NBA championship. Well, I'm glad you touched on that part, because that's such a huge part of Masai's legacy here. It's like he was one of the forefront dudes when it came to having your own G League franchise. And like making sure that you were in control of your own prospects. And like if you do look at the development of what those guys have done, whether it is with those names that you mentioned, having Pascal, you know, a G League MVP, 
or was he a G League Finals MVP? Finals MVP that, that's yeah. it. Uh, but having him groomed there under Jerry Stackhouse and to learn the defense that we basically have gushed over throughout this podcast, to have Norm Powell get down there, to have Fred, the extra reps of that franchise, like that's all Masai Ujiri. Like that's Masai Ujiri's vision. That was him. 905 aren't here without Masai Ujiri. No. And even guys who didn't benefit really for this franchise, the Warriors may start game one, depending on the health of Andre Godala, with Alfonso McKinney playing small forward. He was in Raptors 905 a year ago. So his foresight and the ability to say, listen, tanking is not the only way to do this. I'm going to draft and develop and grow my assets internally and take someone like Siakam, who's 27th in the draft, and develop him to someone who is going to be a perennial all-star. Hats off to him. Hats off to Bobby Webster, the entire front office, because it was a validation of everything that did. We kind of looked at some of the decisions sideways when you just continue to run into the Cavs year after year after year, and it seemed hopeless. But Masai would go to the podium every locker clean-out day and say, what, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to hide. I'm going to continue to fight. We want to fight with the Warriors. We want to fight with the Cavs. And people thought, well, man, this dude is crazy. But, I mean, he's crazy and he's going to the NBA Finals. How many people did want the Raptors to tear it all down? I'm one of them. To get rid of everybody and rebuild and start from scratch. I wanted them to tank for Wiggins. Yeah, I was going to say, this, this organization so, has come a long way from wanting to tank for Andrew Wiggins to an NBA Finals. There's one last quote. It's not a Barkley one. Okay, It's actually a quote from the jump. Almost a year ago, like 11 months ago, and the quote is from... One, DeMar DeRozan. No one's going to reverse engineer the Kawhi trade and think that it was a bad idea now, even though many did at the time. I have many uh, article comments that will say as such. But DeMar said in an interview on The Jump, at the end of the day, I gave everything I had to that team. And he said that saying that he felt he should have been treated better and that he should have had the opportunity to continue to fight for championship. And in fact, I take that quote And I read it the exact opposite from his intended purpose. He's right. He did give everything he had to this team. And it wasn't good enough. And something else had to happen. But it doesn't mean that the pain and the sacrifice that he went through to get the franchise close shouldn't also be celebrated. To me, this is not just about DeMar. It's about JV. It's about DeLon Wright. It's about Patrick Patterson, Luis Scola, Lou Williams, Corey Joseph, Damari Carroll maybe. Terrence Ross, Bismarck Fiambo, like those guys brought the franchise to a place where they were a laughingstock to a real contender. And they weren't all here to see it, you know, get to the mountaintop or wherever we are at this point. But I think they too should be celebrated. I love the fact that JV was in the crowd earlier this postseason. I love the fact that Bismack was in the crowd last night because they're part of this. They're, they're not going to win a ring, but I think we should feel the same way about them, even though they're not on the roster they were part of getting the franchise to where they are now. Yeah, absolutely. And same goes for Dwayne Casey. Like, True. building that foundation with this group. A lot of people deserve credit for where the Raptors are today. It's funny that you mentioned DeRozan because I thought about yesterday what his emotional level is with this because obviously he loves Kyle Lowry. Obviously he's got some love for some of those teammates and probably a lot of people that work in the organization. But it must be really hard seeing the Raptors, you know, get over the hump in the, the first year that you're gone and have the, the one thing that people pointed to, which was like the lack of a true superstar, really be the difference. As we end, surmise the moment for you, what it means for the fan base, for the country, and what your thoughts were when you saw the crazy videos, both on TV but online. What I think is special about the Raptors 
is I don't think there's a fan base that does a better job of representing like true Toronto and what Toronto, you know, really is. And that is an immigrant, a minority and a vastly diverse populace. And last night was so fun because it was so unifying. Like I know it's kind of corny, but like the logo here, this the United by Sport. You really felt that yesterday. Like you, you go downtown and people are just hugging and people are like celebrating together. And it's like, you don't get moments like that without sport. Like there's nothing that has everybody celebrating in the street that way other than sport. And I think that the Raptors, especially, Leafs have been downtrodden for a while. Like they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 67. It's like a different type of bitter. The Blue Jays, you know, you could feel a lot of the ghosts wash away after the bat flip, but you know, it's still a fan base that's starving for a championship. But the Raptors have been like, they've been this disrespected franchise for a long time. And it's the reason why people do still get upset when they don't get the media market coverage south of the border, when they don't get a Christmas Day game. Because to be a Raptors fan was like, to believe in your team was almost audacious. Like you were mocked openly for it. Like you, you thought the Raptors were good. There was nothing like people enjoying rubbing in your face when the Raptors would lose and the Raptors would bow out, whether it was like the LeBron toe stuff or it was the, you know, having a sip of beer, the spinning the ball in the finger with LeBron, all of these different things. Like there was a nastiness, this edge to being a Raptors fan. Like, I can't believe you would have the gall to believe in your basketball team, to have faith that they would eventually get over the hump. And so to see those people rewarded for that faith, see those people rewarded for all of those. Yeah, man, those tough times for being a real, like a franchise that was pointed out yesterday has more wins than anybody else in the East over the last six years now to actually have them validated for this group that they are. And those people that believed in this team and talked up this team and celebrated this team to have that moment. Like it was special. It's a different kind of thing in a country where basketball has never really been at the forefront. I mean, the team literally, when you look at the roster represents the ethos of the country and how multicultural we are. I mean, we've got two Africans. They got a guy from Spain. They got a guy from Taiwan. They got a guy from the UK. They got a Canadian they are a melting pot in the way that the country is. When TFC won, I was happy for the franchise, but the franchise at times was badly mismanaged Mm -hmm. and they decided to invest some money and they were really good. I was really happy for the fans because the fans stuck with the franchise when they didn't deserve that loyalty. And in a way I feel the same. This franchise wasn't nearly as mismanaged as TFC was. There's a lot of people at, Canada basketball and NBA Canada and with the Raptors that have done a lot to grow the sport in this country that have done some good, honest work that I felt really happy for that they got this moment. But I felt happy for the fans as well because they are the most underappreciated and underserved fan base in this country. Mm -hmm. Their schedule literally goes head to head with hockey, which is a juggernaut. And for the last 24 years, they've had to wait and wait and wait. Regardless of the hockey team and their market, whether it's Vancouver or Edmonton or Calgary or here in Toronto, no matter if the hockey team was good or bad, they had to wait till the second block and sometimes the third for their story. And last night was like, no, we're on the front page now. Mm-hmm. This is the story. All the camera crews are here. Drake is here. The celebrities are here. We are the front page story for this country, and we should have been before now, but it's undeniable. I thought it was awesome. Listen, how many times have we... How how have you even just seen the evolution of basketball coverage since working here? I have seen moments where I've gone to bat for basketball and said, this is what we need for this. And I've been told like, 
Yeah, it just doesn't move the needle that way. The Raptors just don't do ratings that way. It's not that team. And I think they have been underserved. And I think that this is kind of a validating moment of how many people do root for this franchise and how many people have been behind them. And again, I'm just, I'm thrilled. We do have, I will say this though, Toronto is very lucky, very fortunate to have the the type of people who cover this team. You're a part of that coverage, very much so. But to be able to read Michael Grange, to be able to read Blake Murphy, Eric Kareen, God, I'm going to miss people, but Sirit Zoe, to have like the play-by-play crews that we have, the analysts that we have, the depth of people who cover this team. It really comes into perspective when you watch the Bucks in their post-game pressers and you see like who's covering it for them. They've got like a couple of bloggers and a couple of radio guys and they just don't have what Toronto has. I don't know if there's a market in the NBA that has as good a coverage across the board as the Toronto Raptors. Go down the list of how many people are creating content about this team that are just excellent. I did an essay in 2016 when the All-Star game was here in Toronto about the fact that Toronto kind of showed to the basketball world that we're this hidden gem, mm-hmm. that we're this beautiful, beautiful place in terms of basketball conversation. Oh, yeah. so don't say weather because this is... A- well, no, I was going to say, yeah, it was freezing cold, but it was literally a great showcase for the game. We're a couple years removed. It's not hidden anymore. This playoff run has shown the strength of the team, the organization, the strength of the fan base, the strength of basketball in this country. They flexed on them for couple weeks and it's going to last a couple more weeks. Enjoy it, Canada. This has been fun. We'll be here talking about it. Thanks for listening.